Hey everyone, welcome to episode 7 of the Denver Crooks podcast. Today we're going to be joined by Aaliyah Robbins. Leah is a licensed mental health clinician and she's going to be diving into the topic of the mental health epidemic that we're going through as a nation. So it's a very large topic. Obviously, we weren't able to get to every facet of this issue, but we got a good basis for exploring this topic and I think you guys are going to find this one intriguing. So give it a listen and I hope you guys enjoy and get something from it because I think it applies to all of us to some degree. Welcome to the Denver Crooks, a podcast dedicated to the Colorado climbing community and their passion for adventure and pushing the limits of the human spirit. Welcome to the Denver Crux podcast. Uh, today, super exciting. I just want to set the scene for everybody. What's going on right now? Um, I'm going to openly admit this: that I am, in fact, enjoying a pumpkin spice latte. Um, I did not realize. Oh wait, not a latte, but pumpkin spice creamer in my coffee. It's not even October yet, and this is happening. Why? Because it was available at Sprouts. They kind of put it in my face, and I couldn't resist getting the creamer for some reason. I feel basic right now. Is that is that the term That's that the people term. use? Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's happening. I'm not going to hide it from my listeners. Anyway, super excited today. We have Aaliyah Robbins. This is kind of a very special podcast, actually, because Lee is... Not a climber. Not yet, anyway. But in the future, who knows? Not currently. But I felt compelled to bring Aaliyah on because I personally know Aaliyah and she has a wealth of information on a very exciting topic and a topic that I am passionate about, even though I don't pursue it at a professional level. Um, I'm very passionate about it. I think it's super important. And that topic is mental health. And just to give you guys some background, the main reason why I wanted to leave here, not only to talk about the topic, is because I think it does relate. I'm trying to tie it into the Denver Crux podcast right now and climbing. But I think for a lot of us, um, it does relate to climbing because I personally know a lot of people that have gotten into climbing. And specifically because it has helped them with their mental health and it has overall just been a huge benefit to their life and they have used this as an avenue to go ahead and approach that so anyway i've got Aaliyah here Aaliyah, tell us a little bit about yourself um what your profession is and your your overall education and kind of where you fit into the mental health field so i'm a licensed professional counselor in lpc I have been an LPC since 2015, um, completed, uh, that's when I completed grad school. Um, I actually went to school for my master's in art therapy, but my particular school also met all the needs and all the criteria so you could get an LPC as well and not just to become a registered art therapist, uh, which I liked about that, gave us kind of two toolkits to use. Um, I've worked in a lot of areas of mental health. I started 
in nonprofit, working with the homeless and children who have been sexually abused or gone through some other kind of abuse, then moved to community mental health in Wyoming where I worked for three years, um, which gave me a very wide and broad education of working with people on different diagnoses, and then came down here to Colorado where I've worked in private practice and mobile crisis and hospitals, um, but currently I'm working with the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office as a co-responder where I respond to scenes with deputies or ambulance, fire, whoever, and help if there's any kind of mental health need, whether that's an evaluation for suicidality or um, someone who's feeling homicidal or somebody who maybe doesn't seem like they're fully oriented or with us or is hallucinating. Basically anything that could be a mental health issue, I show up and give my skills and try and help out. And this is also a pretty special podcast also because um, I know Aaliyah personally and I can absolutely vouch that her work is phenomenal. I'm not just saying that to blow smoke, but um, she does amazing, amazing work that I can absolutely contest to firsthand. Thank you. And I find it very interesting the type of profession that you work in, I guess more so not only the profession, but the the field that you're working on within that profession, which is working directly with first responders. And I mean, you are really seeing these things literally firsthand. Mm -hmm. uh, you are not in the field to where, you know, these people have to wait for an appointment or there is a lot of preparation time. You're kind of directly put into the heat of the moment as they are experiencing that crisis and please correct me if I'm wrong but not a lot of people in your field or in your profession in general are in that situation correct you know to where the crisis is literally happening at that moment and you're the first person that they see as they're going through this I would in the cases where there's some kind of first response or 911 is being called, yes, this is a very particular set where I get to see that. Um, there are great mental health workers who deal with crisis, probably in different moments and in different areas. Um, but that's a great thing about mental health. You can reach people in so many ways and help them at so many different points. And a crisis can be a moment or it can be you know, months, years long. And um, I think anybody in mental health is, I'm just vouching for my entire field is doing a great thing. I, I do love what I do. I do love the moment of the crisis. That's very exciting to me. Um, I think that we all have moments that are really, really awful. And to have somebody there who can be calm with you and who wants to be in that moment with you and um, witness what you're going through and support you is a special thing. And I've been lucky enough to have that in my life. And it's something that I like to give back to other people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very interesting field and working with first responders is very interesting because you're balancing a lot of personalities and different goals on a scene, which can be challenging and I think can relate back to rock climbing quite a bit too. So yeah. And yeah, and we're going to get there. Yeah. This is, you know, today's conversation, I guess, in general, the topic, there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of stuff there and, you know, I'm going to be as respectful of your time as possible. I have a lot of things that I've been excited about getting to. This is actually the first time where I've actually written out some show notes of topics that I want to hit. I generally go through pretty organically and everything. And, um, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I might be referring to those, making sure that I hit them all. But we're going to bring it back. We're going to, we're going to start at the beginning a little bit. So you said that 
you originally went to school for art therapy. Yes. I don't know what that is. Maybe I'm an idiot. No, um, no, it's not super well that? known. Sure. Um, so in the mental health field, we all think differently. We all react differently to different kinds of therapy. Some people do really well with talk therapy. Some people do really well with a more cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy, which we shorten to CBT and DBT. Those are much more skills-based, homework-based, um, with direct practices to use and not just sitting and talking to someone at length, like psychodynamic psychotherapy. There's play therapy, which we use for people who are either very young for children or people who have developmental disabilities or are nonverbal. Um, and art therapy is another great skill set for that for people who maybe struggle to talk about what they're going through or don't exactly know what they need. And art can be a way to express a lot of emotions, a lot of conflicts, um, to express trauma in a way that helps people filter their feelings in a healthy way and not um, flood themselves with too much emotion. It can be a very safe way to express things. And we've found it's very useful in specific populations. Um, some people who just are really creative and artistic can really flow in therapy by using art as a way to do that and channel their emotions. With children, it can be a really great way for them to explain a narrative because it's hard for them to find the words to linearly express something that's happened. Um, we've also found it to be great for people with trauma. Soldiers with PTSD have done really amazing art therapy work. Um, th th there was actually, I think it was featured in National Geographic a while back. They were making masks at an institute in Maryland for soldiers who've been through combat and they were astounding and beautiful and very powerful and emotional. And um, art can be a great tool for that, just like any other form of therapy can be a great tool. And I think it's wonderful. Um, there's music therapy, there's drama therapy, there's all kinds of different expressive therapies in addition to sort of the more traditional psychological therapies that we know and the field is ever growing. Um, I love art therapy, but I found it narrowed who I was able to work with and I wanted to be able to work with anyone and everyone and offer everybody as much as I could. So again, it's a great skill set. I have used it many, many times and found it a beautiful way to connect with people on a different level and to hit some deeper things for people who might struggle to get there verbally. Um, I do also love the aspect of being an LPC where I can access those other skills too and help people talk through things or um, use other skill sets like the CBT and DBT I mentioned to kind of get straight to I need to change behavior or thinking patterns. So there's a lot to offer there. So once you once you completed your training in mm -hmm. art therapy, what was, or after college I should say, what was your first job in the field of mental health? So my first job we do internships in grad school and my first one was with the homeless population in Washington DC I worked at a beautiful wonderful nonprofit that I'm gonna plug um, called Miriam's Kitchen they were fantastic they open their doors all day long people can come get a meal um, they can come in any state they can come high on drugs they can come very mentally ill they can come stone sober but it was just a safe place where there's security, they can come, they can sit, they can make friends. Um, and we also offered them art supplies and they got to make art and I would wander and people would make art and I would just assist them if I could or be there or listen to their stories. Um, so that was a really special and beautiful way to start with art therapy. Um, my first job out of school was the community mental health in Wyoming. And that was great because it was again, such a wide experience. In community mental health, you are working with anybody that walks through the door. So I saw 
Um, I think the youngest child I worked with was three and the oldest gentleman I worked with was 73. So pretty broad range. Mm -hmm. And I got to use my art therapy skills there, but I also use psychodynamic psychotherapy, play therapy, CBT and DBT, trauma-based therapy, um, whatever tools the person that came through the door needed, we would work with and figure out what was best for them. Was there a was there a specific theme with the clientele who were coming in when it comes to because again I'm very I'm very ignorant as passionate as I feel I am about it I'm still very ignorant with it with that job the people coming in is it anyone going through a mental health crisis something spontaneous like that or is this someone who has been diagnosed with something long term whether it be depression anxiety um, what type of people are you seeing at this time? Community mental health is literally everything. It's someone who... Anyone and everyone. Anyone and everyone. I, I My father died and I'm in grief and I'm depressed and I can't work and I need help. Um, it's someone who has been struggling with depression for the last 20 years. Somebody who um, is an alcoholic and has relationship issues based off that and needs some couples counseling. Um, a child who's struggling in school. And we don't have a diagnosis yet. We don't know why they're struggling. And we need to help them get a diagnosis and give that information to the school so that kid can be put on an IEP plan or a 504 plan to help them in school do better. It, literally anything that walked through the door you dealt with. I could have someone come in who was hallucinating and hearing voices. I could have someone come in who um, was just wanting some help and advice with their boyfriend or girlfriend and um, felt like, you know, I, I just feel like I struggle in this relationship and we fight a lot and I want to make it better. So could really, community mental health crosses the gamut and opens its doors to everyone, which is why it's a really great resource that um, I wish we had more of and more funding for because it would be helpful. But So in that situation, yeah. your community mental health in Wyoming, people walk through the door, they see someone such as yourself mm -hmm. and they're able to in that moment sit down with you and you're able to go through a session with them Absolutely. it was it was that smooth and easy we you could either make an appointment or we had specific days that were kind of open hours and the first appointment you'd come in you'd do the paperwork up front with somebody and then you come back and meet with a therapist like me and we would run through a full evaluation where we get a lot of your history because it's our first time meeting you and we want to know your background. We want to know what kind of trauma you've been through. We want to know what kind of relationships you've had. We want to know what do you perceive as the problems that you're experiencing right now and that you want help with, but also what's going good in your life that we can build off of. Because oftentimes that information is just as useful to helping somebody get better and do better in their life. Um, so it would usually be at least an, at least an hour. Some places do longer, some places do shorter of an initial evaluation or assessment where we gather all that information. And with that, hopefully come up with a diagnosis and a treatment plan to then help that person and help narrow down kind of what we want to work on with them and, and or what they want to work on with us. Um, and that plan often shifts during the course of therapy. Maybe they just want a couple sessions and some skills to build. Maybe they're looking for long-term therapy to work through something. Maybe they have no idea and they're coming in saying, please help me, I'm just struggling, I don't know what's going on. And that's when we gather that information and help them come up with a plan and try to give them some idea of, you know what, you have a lot of trauma in your background that it sounds like you really haven't had help with. And it sounds like that trauma might be uh, interfering with your relationships and your ability to function well. That could take some time to work through. That might take us several months, if not even a couple years to work through all that. Something else that's based on, um, I'm having trouble focusing at my job and really struggling there and I need some skills to focus better. 
might only be a handful of sessions for us to help you with that. So that initial session helps us get an idea. And then the more that I work with someone, the more I would learn what skills they needed or what help they needed or, and also how they learn best because we all learn differently. And one person might do really, really well with that goal oriented, directed task based therapy. And someone else might need to go really slow and easy and talk through things a day at a time, step at a time. Um, so community mental health or any, any therapist that you're going to meet with on a regular basis, it's going to kind of work that way. You're going to have an initial session to build and then start building trust and rapport with that therapist, start working towards your goals, um, and adjust as you go and check in as you go to see if you're meeting those goals or working in the direction the person wants to go to. Did you notice a big difference with that, the capability that you guys had over there and the overall mental health of that area pretty much people being able to being able to seek immediate assistance versus here that contrast to where we really don't have that available so where i was in um, rock springs wyoming which is a most of wyoming is pretty small right it's a it's much less populous area than colorado um, but we had people coming from as far as two or three hours away it could be very hard for people to get in. Um, my caseload at one point was very, very large and I was not able to see people weekly the way that I wanted to. And that's usually a problem with community mental health everywhere you go. Is and that just a lack of staff or? Lack of staff, um, high need. You know, mm -hmm. there's, the fact is we don't talk about it as much. It's getting better right now. The stigma around mental health is absolutely getting better, but it is mental health a pervasive issue throughout our country, throughout every socioeconomic status, every race, every gender, every orientation. Mental health is an issue. People struggle. We all think differently. We all react differently. We all go through different experiences and we all need help. Nobody in their life, I, I would be shocked. And if someone can prove me wrong, awesome. If someone told me I've never needed help with anything ever, I've always been able to do it on my own, I would be shocked. And that's the great thing about mental health is you can come in with anything from that I just need help with some of my relationships or I'm just struggling a little bit to, to perform at the level I want to in my life up to I'm in super crisis and everything's falling apart. And because we see that big of a range in mental health, it can be really hard for people to get in to see someone. And community mental health in particular is open to all. So they take Medicaid and Medicare, they take almost all insurances, they will allow people to pay out of pocket if they don't have insurance and base it on what people are making. So it'll be a what we call sliding scale. You bring in a pay stub and based off of how much money you're making, they then decide how much a session is going to be. Versus um, private practice where often maybe they take insurance, maybe they don't, but a private practice clinician will usually have a set fee and that fee is what you pay. And if you can't afford to pay it, then you probably can't see that clinician. Um, so that's why community mental health is a great resource. And we do have great community mental health here in Wyoming as well. Uh, the main ones around the Denver metro area are Aurora Mental Health, the All Health Network, and what used to be the Mental Health Center of Denver, I think they are now going by WellPower. Um, and all three of those are great. And they have a lot of centers. They have walk-in crisis centers. They have um, great clinicians and great staff. They offer a wide range of services, but just like Wyoming, it was a lot of people spread out a lot further and only one place to go for community mental health. And here we have multiple places to go, but we have way more people. So the it all density, kind of evens out. Exactly. It all kind of evens out in the wash. And overall, we need more community mental health everywhere, I think. Um, 
and and in, right now in the country in general, even private practice clinicians are overwhelmed and don't have room. And that's something I notice a lot working in crisis is a lot of people saying, I really want help and I've tried, but I can't get in with anybody. I can't get in with community mental health. I can't get in with a private practice person. I can't even find a therapist right now because everyone is so overwhelmed. So it's, um, it's great that people are accessing it and using it. And my hope is that we start to fund more money into it so that people can actually have the access that they're wanting since it's such a high need. Did you, through these experiences that you had, did you find yourself gravitating towards a specific type of, I guess, assistance or therapy that you liked in terms of dealing with people who were going through relationship issues or people who were going through personal issues or depression or... Did you find yourself gravitating towards one of those? Absolutely. Um, Would you like? I personally, I love working with people who've experienced trauma. That's um, always been an interest for me. It's something that is challenging to work with, but also for me personally, very rewarding to work with. I think one of the things I've learned about mental health is every clinician seems to have a strong suit, seems to have something they gravitate towards. And that thing that they gravitate towards doesn't burn them out the way that trying to work in another niche of mental health might burn them out. So one person might do really, really well working in hospice and with geriatric patients. That might fuel them. That might make them feel like they're contributing, like they're doing great work and they don't burn out or feel terrible or exhausted or hurt by all the people passing. For another clinician, that's their nightmare. Every day drains them and they come home crying and they come home burnt out and they end up leaving the field. So very, very much like the extensive offline conversation we were having yes. in terms of introverts versus extroverts. Um, Definitely everybody has their own thing. And dealing with certain people yes. can and just absolutely just crush you from a professional level. Definitely. And okay. for some people, trauma work is very draining. And the experience of hearing horrible things that people have gone through, whether that is um, a domestic violence, physical abuse, whether that's emotional abuse, sexual abuse, whether that's substance abuse issues. You know, there's so many levels of trauma, whether that's experiencing a terrible car accident, having somebody in your life pass tragically, um, somebody dying from suicide, you know, trauma comes in all shapes and forms. And for some people hearing those stories eats away at them and helps them or, or forces them or leads to them losing some faith in humanity and in hope and in the ability to see a positive future, which absolutely makes sense if you're hearing those stories day in, day out. For whatever reason that I don't know, for me, those stories imbue me with hope in humanity and the resilience that we have in the innate power within us that when we reach out and ask for help after experiencing trauma, there is the potential for so much growth and for so much healing and amazing things to come out of it, which is why I'm super passionate about that work and love it so much. And that's part of why I really like crisis work is because innately in a moment of crisis, we're going through a trauma. And the faster you address trauma, the more likely it is that you're actually going to grow from it and find resilience from it than it to cause very negative, long lasting effects. Um, we've done a lot of research on that. On if you go through a very traumatic experience and get help quickly, the chances of it turning into a more long-term debilitating post-traumatic stress disorder or a long-term debilitating um, how it's affecting your relationships with other people lessens the faster you get help. So that work for me is really beautiful work. It is hard 
And there are days that are very rough with the stories I hear, but I always look for where's that hope? Where's that chance of building from this? This might be the worst moment of your life, but let's build on that. What are you going to get out of this? And I mean, that's when you're meeting a lot of these people is literally on the worst day of their life. And I can see what you mean in terms of that being something that can very much eat away at you because every single interaction is just you walk in, you're meeting this person for the first time and they're just unloading this terrible traumatic situation that reached a boiling point today. And that's why you're there. That's why you're on scene. Exactly. Um, And I can see that being very, very, uh, I think, (laughs) needless to say, I think you were built for that. Because (laughs) seriously, not many people could handle that day in, day out, every single time. And that's very interesting that you have that capability. Um, You were saying before that we've gotten better about addressing the stigma of mental health. Um, What changes have you seen? Let's just take in recent years, you know, let's take the past you know, let's take the past five years, um, which includes the advent of COVID and everything. Um, what have you seen kind of happening and progressing in terms of how people are willingly reaching out? And what changes have you seen with the explosion of mental health in recent years? There's been so much. Um, when I was a kid, there was some help for kids in school you might have like a classroom you could go to for a little bit of a break or maybe some assistance for kids with ADHD or autism kind of started when I was in school but it wasn't very clear yet there weren't great plans for it yet in the last 10 20 years we have drastically overhauled how we handle kids with different learning abilities in school so now kids can get those um, individualized education plans IEPs um, 504's plans are more emotionally based plans um, so they call them different things in different states sometimes but just the ability for kids to if they're having trouble in school there's a school psychologist now not just a counselor who can diagnose these kids who can help build that plan those kids get a team built around them to help them do better in classes that's huge that's changing everything from a kid who 30 years ago would have gone through school feeling stupid, feeling like I'm an idiot because I'm doing bad in class because I can't remember these things, I can't learn this way. They don't even realize that they can't learn that way because they don't know there's other ways to learn. There was only one one way to do things back in school. And now we've shifted that. We've learned there's all these different learning styles that people tend to learn best actually when you combine multiple learning styles and not just try to force them to auditorily mm-hmm. learn or visually only learn, but combine both and that and or be a more kinesthetic have more hands-on and that learning does better so that shift alone has addressed a ton of mental health needs and made it clear that there's nothing wrong with thinking differently or acting differently um great people in our culture have come out temple grandin being a great example of someone with autism who's become very successful done awesome ted talks and explained how her, her autism has become her superpower um comedians joking about going to therapy It used to all be a joke about sitting on a couch and saying, tell me about your mother and tell me, how does that make you feel? And now we have comedians standing on stage and talking about going into therapy and having these intense conversations with about all kinds of things in their Mm -hmm. lives. But that alone 
softens mental health is is accessible mental health is something that happens to everyone these comedians on stage who are funny who are smart who are likable who literally have stadiums of people laughing are dealing with mental health too Mm -hmm. and that's okay it's acceptable for them to be depressed or have relationship issues or drink too much and we're able to talk about that now um it's been in tv shows more it's been addressed on a government level more just so many things have shifted in the fact that we're allowed to talk about it and that talking about it is normal and people aren't saying oh wait you mentioned depression there's something really wrong with you you're really you you shouldn't be talking about that at, with friends at dinner you shouldn't be talking about mm-hmm. that on stage whatever the case is oh you're a kid who's struggling in school suck it up mm-hmm. figure out how to make it better yeah. we're not doing that anymore and I think that's led to that huge shift. And the more that people see that mental health is normal, that having struggles with different kinds of mental health things is normal, the more people are willing to access that help and ask for it because they go, oh, so I'm not weak. I'm not stupid. I just have something going on in my life or I, my brain just works differently and that's okay. And I can get help with that because the world doesn't cater to everybody. And sometimes we need help adjusting to figure out how to do our best in a world that tends to run one way yeah i mean and i think if you're anybody in this world that is doing going through life and doing things that are worthwhile doing things that are challenging pushing yourself you're going to reach these points to where some crisis some issue it doesn't i shouldn't use the word crisis necessarily but some issue is going to hit you to where you hit an you hit a roadblock, you know. Um, one of my favorite Stoic quotes is, the obstacle is the way. And we go through things and undoubtedly, we're going to hit an obstacle. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's something physical. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not yet strong enough to do this climb, you know. Or I'm not, you know, I don't have the money to do this or you know, I'm going through something that has slowed my progress. The obstacle is the way. That is how we are able to progress. And just like you were saying before, I don't think there's anybody out there who is able to handle everything themselves right. or without challenge. Right. You know, I should say some people do try to handle it by themselves, as I'm sure you've seen plenty of times. Absolutely. Um, and sometimes maybe they can push through that depending on the severity of it but a lot of times getting that assistance getting that guidance is easier and from a layman such as myself that's how I see therapists you know from a very basic sense is it is a guide you know it's someone who can you know not just give you a cookie cutter answer it's someone who can guide you through this experience in a very personalized way and I think that's such an invaluable tool that if you look at a lot of successful, highly, highly successful people, nobody did it without a guide. Right. Nobody did it. You know, you think Michael Jordan got to where he was without a coach. You know, exactly. for the climbers out there, like you think Adam Andra reached his extreme level um, of performance without a coach. He has a team of coaches. He, I mean, literally, I mean... You know, Adam Andra and many other elite athletes, they have a mental health coach. They have a, a um, sports psychologist who visualizes that training and how to win. They have a strength and conditioning coach. They have a nutritionist. Absolutely. They have a manager. This is a team. Mm-hmm. 
and all those different resources come together to create this ultimate athlete or to create this successful person in whatever field. I watched a very interesting documentary. Uh, This is about two years ago now, I think, two or three years ago. It's called The Social Dilemma. Are you familiar with that? It's uh, It was a documentary on Netflix. It's still there. Um, but basically, it was all about, in recent years, how social media and a lot of other things that have recently hit have greatly increased the amount of issues that we have as a country um, in terms of depression, anxiety. Um, what do you... What do you feel the effects recently of the quarantine aspect of COVID and the just how we live kind of in this world? Do you feel that there has been a massive increase in mental health issues? Yes. Um, personally, having worked, I was working in a uh, the Arapahoe County Jail during COVID and witnessed people in some of the most extreme quarantine, literally being locked down in a very tiny room for hours without anything to do. And I saw both in the community and in that space, people really struggling with quarantine. Innately, humans are social beings. We're, we're tribal based. If you go way back to the beginning with evolutionary psychology, we survived when we were a tribe. We didn't survive alone. And us lacking, we, we may have different levels of social interaction that we prefer, like introversion, extroversion, mm-hmm. which you and I were talking about earlier. but at the end of the day, humans have a desire to belong to something. We all need some type of interaction. Exactly. And we also need stimulation. Your brain needs stimulation. Being in quarantine and being shut down, not being allowed to go out and experience things, even as simple as your commute to work. You see new things every day on a commute to work. You see new people in in your regular coffee shop or in your regular grocery store. You experience new sights and smells all the time, even if you're not consciously registering it. So being stuck inside so much around scenery that doesn't change much because you don't have as much outside influence absolutely makes your brain tired because it's not being stimulated. And we get bored and we get frustrated and we get angry with the people who are around us because we can't stand being around them a minute longer. We need, we need that space of getting away from them in the home to be able to appreciate them more from dealing with others. And it reminds us why we appreciate the person we're living with. Um, so everything about quarantine, I think there were some people who gratefully the time alone was helpful for them. They appreciated it. They maybe were able to use that time to accomplish things or to learn about themselves. And there's other people for whom quarantine was miserable and brought out very intense depression. Um, I saw people who had never experienced depression, anxiety, psychosis, have those symptoms for the first time ever because of quarantine because they were not used to that little stimulation and it drove their brain into a very unhealthy space. So I think that has played a huge role in the uptick in mental health. And statistically, we've seen those numbers for all mental health professionals across the board increase dramatically since COVID and since quarantine. Um, I also think social media is a really interesting topic. There are wonderful things about technology and social media that actually are great for people's mental health and finding communities or places to belong. In a kid who lives in a small town who is um, transsexual and nobody in town is and they don't know anything about it, but in a community online, they can learn. 
They can find other people who are experiencing that. They can get help coming out. They can get help learning what they need to ask their doctor about. And back in the day, that wasn't a thing that you didn't have that. You just had to swallow your feelings and Mm -hmm. bury them down and you couldn't be who you were. So it's kind of like going from really, and I grew up in the age where I remember Mm pre-internet, you know, I remember, I remember pretty distinctly when my mother brought home this massive coffee table size computer yeah and uh you know aol the long dial-up absolutely yeah um you know but you could jump into a little chat room or you could maybe go to one of the hundred websites that existed Mm -hmm. at the time um but besides that you know i remember that pre-internet age when information was not readily accessible and would you say that there's like a fine line between not enough information and then yes. it goes to now we have over information over stimulation absolutely we start getting into these actual social kind of dynamics to where oh no you know what picture should i post up you know what, what filter should i put on this to make myself seem as cool as possible or you know look at what johnny is doing or look at what cindy is doing you know, and we start getting a little bit, that can build up some anxiety, would you say? Or? Absolutely. So good and bad, right? The, the ability to connect, the ability to gather information can be used very, very well, can be used to help people feel better about themselves and learn. It can also be used detrimentally. It can be used to increase judgment about yourself, um, you know, a need for, I have to look a certain way, I have to be a certain way that used to only be through TV and magazines now is pervasive through everything that we do. And it's great that we have body positivity movements. It's great that we have other things going on to counteract that. But depending on what app you're on and what you're liking and what algorithm, what the algorithm is doing to your profile, you may or may not access that material. You may or may not know it's out there unless you're searching for it. So we can become bombarded with the wrong kind of information or the kind of information that eats away at our self-esteem that, or that increases our anxiety or depression. Um, we also can just be bombarded not of our own accord with social media with all these apps like snapchat and you know and TikTok and facebook and instagram i mean you can message through all of them so kids today are growing up being bullied literally 24 7 whereas i remember in school when you'd be bullied at school but you went home and got a break you know your bully had to call you on the phone and get through your parents answering the phone first before they could bully you or had to show up at your house is very different than when in your email, on your social media profile, on the apps on your phone, you're getting slammed. And even if the bully isn't directly contacting Mm -hmm. you, your friends are telling you, so-and-so is posting about you, talking about you. So yes, technology and social media can be great and they can be terrible Mm -hmm. and it's very hard to monitor it and it's very hard to know at what level is too much for each individual person and how do I make sure I'm getting things that are building me up instead of things that are tearing me down. Yeah, the whole... The whole bullying thing is, uh, that's something that really bothers me these days. I never went through this type of bullying before. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just, it annoys me because there has to be, and I'd have to do like a poll with like younger kids, but I'm sure there's so much more bullying going on these days because of the ability to be a bully. Because yes. b- back in the day, you know, which was always a Tuesday if anyone ever asks. But back in my day, I feel like if you were going to get bullied, 
there was only like maybe one or two bullies at school, right? You know, you think back and it's like, you know, that's that really, you know, bully kid. He's a bigger kid. But if you were going to bully, you had better have made sure that, you know, you were going to be a bully who was going to like, if you were going to talk smack, then you might get punched in the face. Sure. And there were consequences back then. Right. And now, anyone who wants to act mean can jump on a little, you know, Facebook post or what are the cool kids using these days? Um, what's cooler than? There's something cooler than Facebook, I hear. These, I mean, Snapchat, Snapchat, Instagram are, I think, bigger now, but oh, I'm out um, of touch too, so. Yeah, there's some cooler apps. Uh, anyway, you can jump on any one of these apps and talk about people and with zero repercussions. Absolutely. And that bothers me. Yeah. Because if you're going to do the bully thing, you better be willing to get punched in the face for what you're going to talk to. Anyway, that's just me venting that's a little bit. I hate I hate bullies. I hate the whole idea of bullies. But now it's just even worse because everyone can be a bully. And I think a lot of people are jumping on that train for whatever reason. We could do a whole yeah. other podcast yeah, about yeah, the psychodynamics yeah, yeah. of bullying. Absolutely, yeah. I know. Um, but I want to backtrack a little bit. Uh, you had said something. Just getting to some of the primary sources of this mental health epidemic. And that's what I would call it. Um, again, I'm a layman, but you know, mental health is a major problem in the world, would you say? Absolutely. Um, kind of getting to it, one of the things that we talk about a lot, we kind of hone in on one kind of phrase within the military when it comes to veterans that are transitioning out and everything, becoming veterans, leaving active duty, is we talk about maintaining a mission. Mm. You know, um, we leave we leave the service where we had very specific objectives, and you know, where in a war there's some sort of objective, whether it be a combat or a support objective. And now that mission ends, and the things that we talk about in the transition meetings is you need to find a mission and I think that holds true for veterans and non-veterans is having a goal do you have a goal and have you seen a correlation with mental health issues and people who just don't have a hobby they don't have a mission in life they're not moving towards anything that's a very chicken and egg type question because mental health can keep you from being able to find those things, can keep you from being able to enjoy a hobby or find pleasure in a hobby. It can also, um, a not having them can increase symptoms of mental health. Not knowing who you are, what makes you happy can make your mental health worse. So it can go both ways for sure. Mm. I think one of the biggest issues that's contributing to a lot of mental health and life satisfaction right now in our country is the fact that we have an American dream, an idea that was built up for a lot of us when we were kids. I don't know about you, but I heard about the American dream as a kid. My parents did. My grandparents did. The build yourself up by your own bootstraps. You work hard enough. You'll earn enough. You'll be able to have a house and a family and do these things that are sort of expected. And this, uh, what we would call social schema, something that is laid out as kind of a storyline for you of what you're supposed to do with your life. Over the last 20, 30 years, that started to shift a lot. 
There's new dynamics. There's single parent families, and that was not part of the social schema mm-hmm. before. There's same sex couple families. That was not part of the social schema before. Um, there's dual income houses, both parents working. That wasn't part of the social schema before. So there's been shifts in how we're looking at what does a family look like? What does a life look like? What does a dream look like? And people who never wanted to get married and have kids before, there was a lot of stigma around that. I think there still is, mm-hmm. but it's definitely shifting. You're allowed to be an adult who finds happiness on your own, not being with a person and not having children. That's more accepted now than it ever has been. It's also made things trickier because it's opened a lot of doors. And with the American dream changing and shifting and not being clear anymore, it makes it harder to figure out what your objective and goal is and what is meaningful for you. So you have doors that have opened to allow people to live a different life, but there's not a storyline set out for you as to how to do it. And that makes it hard. So how do you get there? How do you figure that out? How do you figure out what makes you happy versus what makes someone else happy? And if you do have people in your life who still want you to stick to that specific storyline they grew up with that was sort of the pervasive cultural storyline of the you know white house, white picket fence, two kids and a dog type idea, that pressure is still on you. While you're trying to figure out who am I, what makes me happy? Oh, but these people are pressuring me to get married and have kids and not work or to work or whatever it is. It makes it very hard. And people are trying to figure out who they are. With all that access on social media, it also shows us all these possibilities of who we can be, mm-hmm. of all these abilities to have careers that we were told a long time ago, oh, being an artist isn't a viable career. You can't make money doing that. You absolutely can now. People are making a ton of money mm-hmm. on Etsy or becoming graphic artists or photographers or all kinds of things because technology's opened doors for that. Um, so a lot of the social paradigm has shifted in terms of what we what's acceptable in our culture, what is okay for us to do in our culture, um, our access to things in our culture, but how to get there is still very much up in the air and isn't set out yet. And that makes it harder to attain. That makes it harder to figure out. And innately, like anything, if you started a hike with no map, you're just at the entrance of a hike and you're looking at it, it's going to be really hard to figure out how to get to the top of that mountain to see the view. If you have a map that shows you the direct path and you know where to go with good directions, it's a lot easier to get up there, right? So. I think that's the tricky part right now. And I think that contributes to a lot of people's struggles with finding life satisfaction and happiness. I think it contributes to a lot of people having their mental health or mental illnesses triggered more, whether that's their depression, their anxiety, their learning differences, um, you know, anything that is pushes you is going to innately push other parts of you in your brain and is going to bring up more obstacles and more challenges for you as you're thinking and exploring and pursuing these things and every challenge is an opportunity for growth like we talked about but it is also hard it is also a struggle and how do you get through that struggle without help without a guide without these things which is we keep cycling back around which is great Mm -hmm. um but it is it's hard right now and i think that's why mental health is a bigger topic in the world is because it's being triggered more and because we're allowed to talk about it more and the stigmas come down and because we've done a better job at learning and diagnosing and realizing that all mental health is on a spectrum. So most people have heard of the autism spectrum at this point, but everything's on a spectrum. Depression's on a spectrum. Bipolar disorder's on a spectrum. Anxiety is a spectrum. Um, Schizophrenia is on a spectrum. And you can be anywhere on that spectrum and struggle. And you can be anywhere on that spectrum and do great and succeed. So it's so individualized and it's great that we are 
able to explore our lives as individuals, but it is harder to at the same time. I know that this is a very big inquiry, um, but let's say somebody comes in with the common issue of kind of like what you were referring to before of they kind of they want to jump on an unconventional path or maybe they're lost in their path is there a is there kind of a without getting too specific because everyone's individual but is there a game plan that you like to start people on like what is some form of what is a good starting point for people because like i was mentioning at the start i know a lot of people that got into climbing because of mental health specifically um and from in my experience lesser forms of mental health you know um, not so much the trauma aspect but more so hey i'm feeling you know I, i was feeling depressed you know and um or i feel a lot of anxiety and i want to overcome fear they got into rock climbing and it totally transformed them. You know, I've heard some just some very cool transformation stories throughout casual conversations. But do you have starting points that you like to recommend to people, whether it be, hey, start up some athletics, um, do something that scares you? Where do you like to start people or what would you recommend for people? It's individual. You know, if someone, if I meet with somebody and they tell me they're athletic and they love sports and they love being active, I'm absolutely going to try and find specific things for their mental health that lean more athletic. I'm going to encourage them to do mindfulness in their sports. I'm going to try and help them find um, ways to transfer those, the metaphor of playing sports, of being active into other aspects of their life. If someone is not an active person and is more the, I like to read and I like to draw, okay, let's use that as your, if that's a strength and that's something you enjoy and that's something you relate to, we're going to use that. We're going to go down that route of let's write out a narrative for you. Let's draw out a comic book of your life or let's just explore, pick colors and shapes that say who you are, or where you are right now, what you're feeling right now and put that on paper and then let's talk about it. So every person's going to be different as to which direction you take with them to help them explore themselves. Um, the ultimate goal of any of it is how do we help people feel more comfortable being them and people feel more life satisfaction with who they are and do you see that as a common denominator among a lot of people in terms of them not exploring who they are and doing the things that they want to do i i think it affects a lot of people but i think a lot of our discomfort with mental health i mean Mental health issues are uncomfortable. Feeling depressed feels terrible. It, your world feels so much smaller and you feel isolated and alone. And But depression also affects people in different ways. Some people are able to fight through it and get out and be active. Other people are able to stay at home and watch a movie and relating to the characters in the movie helps them feel more connected to the world again and they feel better. So it's figuring out what works for you. How does your brain work? How does your personality work? What connects you? to yourself and to others to help you battle the symptoms of mental health to help you fight back against depression anxiety trauma whatever it is um one of the ways that i like to describe therapy to people when i'm starting with them is if people are familiar with the hunger games metaphor you are your own person battling everybody is katniss out there on the field fighting their fight 
and trying to figure out how do I survive this, this world that's against me, that's coming at me with all these obstacles and challenges and painful things. And a therapist is sort of your sponsor who can drop a toolkit that might be helpful in a situation now and then. But it's up to you to use the tools. So you're out there battling. I might know, okay, um, Jared is a rock climber and is a very active person. And he's coming to me and saying he's really struggling with happiness right now and feeling life satisfaction. I'm going to drop you tools that are surrounding you being active because I know that that's something you're passionate about. That's something you like doing. That's something that makes you feel productive. I'm not going to tell you to go and to an art museum and sit and ponder an art piece for an I hour. I like and to half. ponder at art. I'm not going to lean that way for your mental health, though, <laughs> to help you overcome an obstacle if that's not something that you lean towards that makes you feel mm. strengthened and powerful and energized and makes you feel like you. Versus somebody else, I'm going to work with them on a different toolkit. You know, I'm going to center those tools around what's going to help them, the way that they think, the way they react, the way they fight their fight. And that's based on our individual personality and based on the fight that we're fighting. Mm-hmm. If you're, the toolkit for trauma is very different than the toolkit for schizophrenia. It's very different than the toolkit for borderline personality disorder. Even though people with schizophrenia and borderline personality disorder often have trauma, they're all going to be different. And so you you have to take in the whole person. Every time you go to therapy, your therapist should be looking at you as a whole person and figuring out what's going to work best for you as an individual. And they should be giving you the tools to fight your fight. And it's tricky and it can take a while and it can be hard. And sometimes also another important thing, sometimes the therapist you start with isn't a good fit. And finding a therapist that you feel like is a good fit for you is super, super important. Now, in a crisis situation, you may not have a choice. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you're wanting to do some actual mental health work, one of the biggest things I tell people is make sure you find a therapist that you feel like you can be you with. That you can say anything and they're not going to judge you. They're not going to make you feel bad about yourself. You don't feel like you have to hide parts of yourself from your therapist. You feel like you really can be open. Um, And if it doesn't feel like a good fit and isn't a good vibe, you should be able to talk to your therapist about that and say, hey, I'm just feeling really self-conscious when I come in here. Or... I'm really worried about you judging me about this part of my lifestyle. And if your therapist can't have a calm and rational conversation with you about that, that's also a bad thing. I mean, I'm sure it's, would you say that it's very much like a relationship in terms of having that chemistry? Sometimes you need someone, you have someone who is, you can get along with, you know, maybe you get along with your therapist or your potential relationship. Maybe they're a very nice person, but maybe they're just not dropping you that right toolkit. Absolutely. Or maybe they're just not dropping it in the right way. Yeah. And some people you just feel, you know, I've had, you know, I've I've battled uh, depression over the years and I've had multiple therapists and I remember when I found one that I really liked and, you know, it was just this. It was this connection. Uh, someone who you're just like, you know what? You're talking my language. Yeah. You know, and some people you just connect with. Um, I think that's that's very, very interesting. And I know I gave you a very difficult uh, question before in terms of how do you attack these things? And it is a very individualized thing. Um, I find it interesting. At least I can very much relate to it as a climber when I talk to other climbers and they open up to me about their their journey. 
you know and that's why i kind of start every podcast with these different climbers about like hey what's the origins of your journey how'd you get into this why did you get into this and where is it taking you uh because i think a lot of us have a lot of a lot of similarities in terms of how this sport is very positively affecting us and when we're out there and we we prep our gear in the morning and we start off on that long approach i like a long approach some people are about the like little short three minute hike from the parking lot i like a nice long approach we were kind of talking about it before but you were asking me uh, when i go out on a hike what is it that i'm taking from that hike is it the accomplishment of getting from a to b is it and then i just turn around and head back or am i stopping to smell the roses a little bit you know gazing out at the mountain and for me you know it's both it is you're out there you've got your gear you've got a mission and that mission is to get up to the mountain to start climbing and i'm doing something physical you know so i feel that endorphin release of hey this is good for my body. I'm doing something physically exerting right now. Number one, I'm doing something technical. So I'm using a skill set and that makes us feel good when we use our skills. And a lot of times in my case, I'm bringing people with me and I'm leading that team. And that is unlocking something else in terms of I am that informal, I'm not a professional guide, but I'm that informal guide in this little group of friends that I have. And we're getting out there and we get on top of the mountain and then we stand there in our Superman stance, like, you know, top out and be like, yes, I'm on top of the world right now, literally. Absolutely. And that is just one example, you know, from a climbing perspective of that is a major sense of accomplishment. And I think that's why I think everyone finds that in something different, whether it's climbing or something artistic or something else you know rowing a canoe just whatever have you and i find it very interesting as i'm sure you notice on a daily basis that everybody has a different outlet and i only know of the athletic outlets that's the only thing that i can relate to but you have such a larger experience base of people using all these different outlets whether it's painting, making a mask, you know, or just anything. There's so many different outlets and I find it interesting. I'm sure you've talked to people who they don't know what that outlet is yet. Right. They don't know what it is. And it's hard to drop a toolkit when you don't know what tools to drop. Exactly. And just being able to, I just find your profession fascinating because you do have to dig into people and say, if you can't tell me what your mission is or what you want your mission to be or what intrigues you in general, we have to dive in deep. We've got to open up right now and we need to find what it is you love so we can progress you. Absolutely. And, and that's why I tell people all the time, therapy doesn't work unless you want to go. If you don't want to be there and you're not willing to open up and you're not willing to work with someone on your goals, it's not going to take you anywhere. And there have been many times when I've had someone come into my office because they were court ordered or a kid whose parents brought them in and they really didn't want to be there. And we sat in silence because they didn't want to talk. And I'm not the type of therapist who's going to force them to talk. I'm, you know, very much would sit there and say, 
hey, this is your space. If your parents are bringing you in here and you don't want to be here, I totally get that. We can play games if you want. We can make art if you want. We can talk if you want, or we can sit here. That's totally cool. This is your time. And if your goal for this time is to take your parents off by not talking and not working on anything, that's really up to you. I can't force you to open up to me. I can't force you to work on things. If you ever want to, I'm absolutely here for it. But if this is just time where you get to be you and get to be accepted as you in this moment right now for the next 45 minutes, an hour, then I'm going to do that too. Um, Anything that we do, I think one of the bigger things that we're coming into right now that that's been a big topic is mindfulness people talk about it a lot and how do you define that the simplest way i can think of to break down mindfulness is to be in the moment to be fully present and that gets back to a lot of what we've talked about with social media with life pressures with all these things going on there's a lot of distractions in our life and there's a lot of things that take up space in our head and one of the things that i think is great about rock climbing and many other activities whatever activity is good for you is that you get to focus your mind down you get to let go of other things because correct me if i'm wrong but if you're up there climbing and you're belaying somebody and simultaneously thinking about all the things you have to do tomorrow and the fight you had with your girlfriend or boyfriend and um hey i haven't called my mom in a while and your mind is drifting off in all these other places and your partner up there slips and you're not ready that can be disastrous right Mm mm-hmm So you have to be centered. Your mind has to be focused in that moment. You have to be thinking about everything that's going on, the tension on the rope, you know, your body position, watching your partner climbing, helping guide them for their next hand or foothold. And, or vice versa, if you're up there on the mountain, right? You're feeling the rock under your hands. You're, or the chalk on your fingers. You are experiencing how much pressure or the way your body's leaning. You're thinking about your breathing. You're thinking about pushing from your legs so you don't exhaust your arms too much on that climb. All of that brings you into the moment. It pulls you into right now. It's slow. It takes your brain from the 8 million things that we're processing all the time and pulls you to one thing. And that we've seen with everybody helps mental health, doing some kind of mindfulness practice. And I have told people, you can do mindfulness any way you want, any way that fits you. If being on the mountain rock climbing is a way for you to focus on your five senses, on that experience, on being there, on your breathing, on the textures, on the smells, on the sights, on just thinking about the task you're doing, awesome, go do that. If mindfulness for you is cooking, where you can enjoy cutting up the vegetables just so and adding the, measuring the spices and ingredients and smelling it as it's cooking and hearing the bubbling water or, or sauteing veggies or whatever it is, if that helps you be in the moment and slow down and just focus on this task, awesome, do more of that. Um, people who tell me I don't have time for mindfulness, I tell them I call BS on that because you can literally do mindfulness on the toilet. And as weird as that sounds, you mm-hmm. can sit and envision letting go of all this negative toxicity in your life and letting it go out of your body and focus on that moment and that experience and clear your mind out. So whatever does that for you, whatever helps you focus is great. I think sensory activities like physical exertion sports athletics um making art or you know like i said cooking all of those are great ways to engage mindfulness and very easy ways for a beginner to engage mindfulness if you can do seated meditation and do mindfulness and focus on breathing and centering yourself and quieting your mind that is awesome that is a great great skill and we've seen tremendous benefits for people who meditate 
but that's also really hard for some people and for some people can be super triggering if they're trying to sit and be just in their own head and just focus on breathing that can actually trigger their trauma and can cause intense anxiety or panic attacks don't do that if that's what that does for you it isn't for everybody no you got to find your thing so um I think, like I said, rock climbing is a great example of that, of all the different ways you can focus in and you can be mindful and be present and just experience something for you. And at the end, have that accomplishment of, if that accomplishment is I got to the top of the mountain climbing it, if that accomplishment is I safely led my team today. If and that, walking back to the car and right? nobody died. Right. Or if yeah. that accomplishment is just <laughs> I was outside today and did something with my body and it felt good. It doesn't matter, right? It's whatever has meaning to you, whatever your purpose for doing it was as long as you can take some enjoyment out of that and bring it back with you and enjoy those moments, that's helpful for every mental health diagnosis I can think of. You were talking about before some of the some of the advantages and the I guess the difference between your experience in Wyoming uh, versus what you've seen here. What type of what type of changes would you like to see or do you think would be highly beneficial that we need to make both in Colorado and overall in America about mental health? What is it that would benefit us that would just bring us to the next level of care? Access and affordability. Just we don't have enough access for everyone. Everyone deserves mental health care. Everyone should be able to afford it. And everyone should be able to afford a good therapist who does meet their needs, who is a good fit for them, who is well-trained and has good experience. And unfortunately, what we see a lot of, and the, th- and the therapeutic community would, I think, mostly agree with me, um, in community mental health, it's usually a lot of people like myself who are unlicensed to start and we're getting our hours to become a licensed professional. And it's a great education and great experience. It's also very challenging because it is so many people and such a wide variety you're seeing. And it's also challenging because there's so many people coming to community mental health and not enough therapists to treat everyone at the need or level that they need to be treated. So I could have someone coming into me who I know if they want to see progress in their mental health, they need at least once a week, maybe twice a week therapy. But at a community mental health level, I might not be able to see them except once every month. And then the progress slows way down. Then we're more putting out fires rather than actually working on digging into you and how to fix things that are going on or look at the problems you're having. It's more about how do I just put out this fire right now? Right. You don't want it to reach that critical boiling point. Right. Exactly. And so if we had more access, if more people could afford mental health and be seen at the level they need to be seen at, we'd see more progress more quickly. We'd see probably with more progress, you're going to see more engagement as well. If I'm getting seen by my therapist, my therapist remembers who I am because she has a manageable caseload, mm-hmm. um, is able to help me and the work that we're doing, I'm seeing progress every week. I'm more likely to engage in that and put more effort into it. I'm more likely to actually believe that mental health is useful and try. And that's the only way things are gonna get better. If I'm coming once a month and realizing after a year and you know 12 sessions, I don't really see that big a difference. Yeah, you helped me like not feel as bad about fights I was having with somebody or get through one moment, but I'm not seeing a change in my behavior or the way I'm feeling overall. What? Why did I waste all this money? And so that's the sad part. Everyone should have access. Everyone should be able to afford it. Um, private practice clinicians usually can see you. They'll limit their caseload so they can see people at the level they need to be seen, 
but they're charging anywhere from 150 to 200 300 dollars an hour and most people can't afford that every week so it's and insurance companies are so difficult to work with for mental health therapists um, and that's a big piece of this that I think a lot of people outside the mental health community don't know is insurance companies put up a lot of blocks to people getting mental health care they'll access a certain six sessions it is very rare that in six sessions you can get done what you need to get done mm-hmm. in mental health it usually takes at least three or four sessions to really create that relationship with your therapist to start for that therapist to know you well enough to know what toolkit to drop for you to know how to help you and what your goals are so that leaves you if you only get six sessions maybe three sessions yeah. to get the work done that's not a lot of time yeah. and um, i mean you know just to kind of bounce off that a little bit it's i think very much what you were saying before about you need to want help yes you know to actually get there um I've seen you in the field personally approach somebody and I've seen both situations to where you approach this person, they're obviously going through a major crisis and they're either shut down, but I've also seen you in the situation and this is the majority of situation, you know, to your credit to where you are able to interact with a person in a matter of minutes and hey, what's going on today? You know, and how you're approaching that, um, people will open up to you. People will open up and say, hey, listen, here's what's going on because they trust you. Because they can see it through whatever you want to call it, you know, your aura. You know, very Colorado thing to say. I know. I'm holding a crystal right now. No. Um, People can see it that you have a genuine desire to help this person out and you're making a genuine inquiry in a very comfortable way, even though we're in a very uncomfortable, critical environment. Um, And I think that just goes to show those people, they truly want help, they wanna open up, and it's too bad that it reached this boiling point to where you had to respond in an instant to where this couldn't have been mitigated prior to that. Um, On that, where do you, from this access and affordability standpoint, do you feel like the online access points are a good option for people? Or Absolutely, yes. Um, first off, thank you for everything you just said. That was very kind. And um, I want to talk about that part too, because I think actually that access piece of crisis is important. But yes, online therapy is great too. Um, BetterHelp and Sondermine and some of these other ones that are up and running now are great because they are working with a lot of insurance companies and make mental, making mental health more affordable. Um, I think they people are able to have better access to seeing a therapist more regularly. I do think something is lost in teletherapy. There's a big difference between mm-hmm. talking to someone on a screen and sitting in a space with someone. Mm-hmm. I think in some instances it's really helpful because a lot of people get a lot of anxiety going to a therapy office and sitting in a waiting room, waiting around other people. Um, waiting for someone to come out the door and call their name and go back with this person into an unfamiliar room that may or may not be their vibe or feel comfortable for them. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, it is confidential. You are in a separate space that doesn't have a ton of emotional attachment. And sometimes that can be a good place to lay your things out on the table and talk through them because it's an unbiased, disconnected spot that becomes about you. Other people, it's too much anxiety that is overwhelming, that is exhausting, 
And online therapy is a great access point for them because you can sit in a quiet room in your home where you feel comfortable and safe and just turn your computer on and go. And that's a great thing. So I usually tell people to figure out what works best for them and Mm -hmm. what's the best fit for them. Um, I would say personally, I always lean towards in person. Mm -hmm. I do think you gain benefit from being in the same room, but if that's too overwhelming, too anxiety provoking, or you just don't have access to it, absolutely do telehealth. And I think we're very much on the same page about that. Personally speaking, you and I, um, because we are both pretty extroverted and I think we open up and we engage so much better in person. I've had a lot of people reach out, you know, just like, like speaking about the podcast, a lot of people have reached out and said, oh, hey, you know, so are we doing a, an over the phone type thing through the microphone and everything? And I'm like, uh, for this podcast, no. Um, for this one, no, because I don't really engage that way. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm against any podcast that does that. Um, kudos to people who can engage and keep that conversation and flow going over the screen. Um, I just personally can't. I'm not there. I'm such a face-to-face person, yeah. you know. And obviously, you are too, you know. And you know, you're here. You're very engaging. Um, but I know that about your personality. Well, but you. I can see how there are other people who would feel very comfortable over a phone conversation. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, we can keep pushing that spectrum. Yeah. You know, I always kind of joke with my buddies about like the like the the more recent dating scene, you know, and I'm kind of dating myself, you know, right now um, in terms of age and everything. But, you know, back in the day, you know, face-to-face engagement. Hey, yeah. you know, you walk up to someone and, you know, you have a meaningful conversation. And it's interesting how things have shifted now to where things are very, you know, text based, you know, yes. texting. And I just never, I could never wrap my head around that. I'm like, how is anyone forming meaningful relationships? You know, texting with letter, you know, there's no, how do you tell the tone? How do you tell the excitement? How do you feel that energy? Absolutely. You know, and everything, but. But it, it's a different world now. And yeah. there are a lot of people for whom it does feel safer to engage mm-hmm. online. And, and that's why there are messaging apps for therapy too. If people are more comfortable with that. And I'm sure people have seen success off of it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I will also say I think that for children or for more diverse learning styles, like if you do well talking to somebody and talking is going to be enough for you for therapy, online therapy, telehealth is a great way to go. If you've got a kid who needs help, please, please don't do online therapy. It's so much harder. It's harder to engage. It's harder to keep their attention. Kids need various forms to express Mm. themselves especially verbal is okay but it's it's not the best it's they are in school long enough having them sit at a desk in front of a computer screen for an hour a week with somebody to talk is going to be hard for most kids so i very much push do that in in person so that the kid can engage in different activities with their therapist while they're talking and be in that room um and people with who learn differently and don't do well with that single stimulus environment i would say telehealth therapy is not for them either so yeah it's there are people for whom that is the most comfortable way to go and in which case it's a great thing there's a lot of access um and again i think it's better than no access for sure but if you can other people engaging in person you're really going to see results that you wouldn't see in telehealth uh so i mean obviously this is a massive topic we could have 50 podcasts about this um I do want to be respectful of your time, but I do want to hit this, um, just kind of get your opinion on this last thing. And again, this is a very broad inquiry. Um, 
if you could if you could recommend one or two things a day for people to do on a daily basis would you have any general recommendations of addressing mental health in a positive way um what is what is something that someone could do those people who you were talking about who i don't have time for mindfulness or i don't have time for therapy or whatever what is a healthy habit that you would say that people can do very in a very viable way in a reasonable amount of time every day so i would argue like i said mindfulness you can find a time you can take grocery shopping and turn it into a mindfulness exercise you can take uh, your time at the gym your commute to work anything can be turned into mindfulness if you're willing to reframe your thinking slightly if you're willing to look at the experience and the journey of it whatever that task is so and doing that should hopefully if you practice it over and over again lead to decreased anxiety and stress for most people um, sometimes even decreases in depression and so I think that's a really, really great place to start. Any task you want to take in your life, the most mundane thing, like I said, literally on the toilet, you can turn that into mindfulness. You can grocery shop walking down the aisle, experiencing the smells and textures of the produce and or the boxes, you know, on the shelves or the, you know, people walking by and just hear the carts. And instead of getting annoyed by conversations or your cartwheel squeaking, or something, just experience all of it. Just let it flow over you. Just be in that moment of it. And what a unique thing that we live in a world where we can walk into a store and pick all the things we want to eat off a shelf and bring them home and make them. You know, we didn't used to be able to do that. So reframing your thinking to even the most mundane thing into something that makes it special or makes it an experience or makes it unique, I think is a really good way to start. I had recently recommended to you uh, one of my favorite movies, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh, and yeah. that very much reminds me of probably my favorite scene in the movie um, to where there's the, there's the photographer looking for this perfect shot and he finds the perfect shot. I won't give away too much of the movie, but he's got it in his lens. Perfect shot is there. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the other guy looks at him and says, "All right, are you gonna you gonna take the picture?" And he just puts his camera down and he's like, "You know, no. I, sometimes I just like to be in the moment. Yeah, you know, not take the picture. I'm just I'm here." And that's yeah. beautiful. That's very powerful because then that moment is yours forever, mm-hmm. and you have made it meaningful. And that's a great power. A powerful tool that we have because so much of our lives are out of our control and we as human beings really struggle when things are out of control so the ability to take a moment and make it something in your control make it personal and meaningful for you is something we all have the power to do if we're willing to find ways to do it and then that becomes something you get to hold on to that feels good for most people to be able to do that to make meaning out of something and I think most things in our life we have a choice to make meaning out of it or not we can choose to let a, an opportunity be miserable and awful, or we can choose to find a silver lining, or if there is no silver lining, then find something to grow out of. I mean, um, that's, a very, that's a very stoic thought. I mean, and that's what, I mean, that's what stoicism has always stemmed from for, for the past 2,000 years, is that what is the difference 
between the things that are in your control and the things that are out of your control. Mm -hmm. And for the things that are out of your control are going to happen. You know, like it's just going to happen. You're going to get, you're going to be driving to work one day. You're going to get a flat tire at some point. And when it happens, it's happened. You have the opportunity to, you know, just, just start throwing a fit and just be pissed off for the rest of the day. Or, you know, you have that stoic expression, amor fati, to love fate Mm -hmm. and say, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to go ahead and get better at changing a tire. This is an opportunity for me to, you know, do this or do this. And I think that's one of the things that gets lost in stoicism is it's not indifference. Mm -hmm. It's, It's loving what happens to you, good or bad. It's loving what happens to you. And it's not sheer optimism either. It's being real with your life and taking advantage of the good and the bad because bad moments often end up being good moments in the long run too. you know. And that's something that I bring to the mountain with me a lot. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, more times than I can think of. I've been start off the climbing day and you know maybe you get a like a maybe you want to do that super early start but maybe you start at like 10 a.m and you start climbing you know you're on a long multi-pitch you get up there and you get stuck in a thunderstorm thunderstorm happening you know lightning coming down and uh you know you can get pissed off and you can get scared or you know you can just you can just Re, not react you can respond to it mm-hmm. you know not with negative emotions but you can address the situation hey I guess I remember I was on one multi-pitch and there was a cave um, it was on like pitch three you know you kind of have to traverse through a cave and it happened right there and I said you know what we're just going to hang out in the cave and this is a perfect opportunity to bust out that cliff bar and there get those electrolytes in right. and refuel for when this passes, because it will pass. Of course. And we will continue climbing when that time comes. But in the meantime, you know, we're just here and we're still going to enjoy this moment, even though we're not climbing right now. And, but yeah, I mean, what you said was stoicism inherently. And I think that's a very important thing to understand and to take in, you know, because all moments need to be absorbed, you know. Absolutely. And you can choose what to do with them. We can't choose what's dealt to us, what our hand is. We can't choose all the events that are happening. You can't choose the weather on a climb, but you chose to take a moment and make something of it Mm -hmm. and to turn what could have been really scary or dangerous or miserable or disheartening because you didn't get the climb you wanted into a really cool memory. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, who gets to go and sit in a cave during a thunderstorm? That's pretty cool. And those are some of the, honestly speaking, those, what some would call negative events have been some of the best stories when I look upon them. Right. You know, those stories when you got lost on on a hike to approach the crag or, you know, and you went through just, you know, these, you know, you went bushwhacking mm-hmm. and, you know, you get lost and you had this what would have been a five-hour day turned into a 12-hour day. You know, those are some of the best stories I have and my favorite memories, you know, and it depends how you look at it. Absolutely. I mean, the tricky thing with mental health is sometimes it's really, really hard to see that. 
you know, when you have a child who's been suffering with medical illness, let's say just as an, an easy one to go to cancer and they die and someone tells you there's a meaning behind that. I know plenty of parents who've lost children that I've worked with who absolutely do not feel like there's any meaning there. That why would there be any meaning behind me loving this piece of myself and trying to raise it? You know, my family going into debt, my family going through pain and grief and loss, this child being in pain for most of the entirety of their life before they died. And now I'm left in all this pain and grief and, and um, bereavement struggling just to find meaning in existence anymore. That's horrible. There's, is there anything good about that? Probably not. At the same time, when we're given that hand, we still have that choice. As harsh as that sounds, you can feel terrible. You may not be able to feel better. So what do you do? You can't take back that your child died. You can't take back all these horrible things or all, and you can't help the way that you're feeling internally, but you can choose what to do about it. Do I need to sit and give myself time to grieve? Absolutely. Do I need to feel those feelings? Absolutely, that's important. Do I sit in them the rest of my life? Or do I look at that child I had and find what they had joy in? Because that's a beautiful thing about children. They always find joy. And turn that into something. Turn it into a charity that helps other children. Turn it into volunteer work that I do. Turn it into focusing more energy on the siblings that are still at home. You know, there's ways to take tragedy, even the worst things that happen, and you cannot change the tragedy but you can take something from it and do something with it. And that can be very painful and very difficult and it can take a long time to get to a space where you're ready to do that. But I think that's the other biggest goal that I would tell people with mental health. You may be in a horrible, horrible space right now. This may feel like this is it. It's never going to get better. There is no options left. I'm at the end of my rope and that is a horrible feeling. Please ask for help when you get there because that's usually when I show up and I'd love to meet you, but also, Sometimes we can't see the next step. We are, we are too stuck in that storm. It is too much pain. Almost always there's another step. And having an outside person come up and who isn't subdued by all this emotion and all this weight can sometimes help you find what that next step is. And sometimes taking those next steps leads towards a purpose or a meaning or creating something from that pain. So I don't want to ever belittle anybody's pain or anybody's experience because I think unfortunately we do that a lot. We tell people to let it go, forgive and forget, move on. And sometimes you can't. But an inability or, or a not wanting to forgive or not wanting to move on doesn't mean you can't have meaning and doesn't mean you can't create beautiful things in your life still. So if you reach that point where you can't see how to do that, asking for help, whether that is a friend a teacher, um, a parent, a it can be the gas station attendant. And, and we see that on our job all the time, people calling in. Um, a lot of times people want help and they don't know how to ask or where to go. And that's when we get a safe to tell from a kid who talked to a friend and the friend knew to tell a parent or tell a school board member who then called us. Um, sometimes that's someone opening up to their mom and their mom calls a welfare check and we go and we talk to them. And so just ask somebody, anybody that you think might be able to stand there with you and might be able to help you get connected to wherever that next step is going to go. Um, so I think that's really, really challenging and really hard thing to do when you're in your darkest place and when you're suffering at the most you've ever suffered and everything feels hopeless. But 
that's the biggest part I think of my job is helping people find a way to find hope again. And most of the time we're able to do that. It can take time and it can be hard and it can take a lot of work, but if you're willing to fight, and that's the other thing is I think most people are. If they know there's something worth fighting for, they're willing to do it. And if you're able to help them see that part, they're willing to do the work and willing to do whatever it takes to feel better or to move forward. And that's part of why I love my job so much and part of why I think all these things are so cool, whether that's moving forward with rock climbing, moving forward with your mental health, moving forward with your education, your job, anything. All of that leads to greater life satisfaction and us feeling more fulfilled as people and hopefully more connected. And if that's not the purpose, I don't know what is. Well, Leah, I can absolutely tell that you do love your job. I see that. I see that every time I see you work and everybody who you interact with appreciates that. Well, thank you. Because um, it's, it's a rare thing. Um, we are at your time limit. I know what your schedule is today. <laughs> thank um, you. Uh, just real, real quick in closing, uh, what are some, some resources that um, people can reach out for, for assistance that, um, I mean, obviously besides 911? Um, yeah, there's, there's always great crisis lines. Um, the Colorado Crisis Line is a resource. Um, any, most of the counties in Colorado do have a co-response or mobile crisis program. So calling 911, you can't call 911. If you know the non-emergency number for your county, call that. Um, you can Google it and find it pretty quickly usually. But if you ask for a co-responder or a mental health professional or mobile crisis in your county, there usually is someone or they can direct you to the right person. There are also walk-in crisis centers all over the county. Um, again, those community mental health ones are usually the ones that run them. Like All Health has a crisis center off of uh, Santa Fe and Littleton. Um, Aurora Mental Health has them. Mental Health Center of Denver has them. Um, those are great for, I'm in a crisis and I might not need police, but I need to talk to someone now and I need to get connected now. And you literally can walk in the door 24-7 and talk to somebody and start getting connected to resources. If you're not in a crisis mode and you have some time, um, as I said, community mental health is a great option for everybody across the board. And they typically have everything from individual family uh, or individual therapy to family therapy, couples therapy, group therapy, medication management, um, support groups. They usually have case managers who can help you with things in the community like finding housing and jobs. Um, so community mental health is awesome. Um, a great way, we talked about telehealth and Sondermine and BetterHelp. Those are super easy to sign up for online. You can call your insurance company and say, I need a list of in-network providers if you have insurance, and they'll send you a list of mental health people that will take your insurance and should cost you a lot less money that way. Um, or if you have the money and the ability, going on something like Psychology Today has a therapist finder tool online, and you can put in parameters like what gender, what location, what specialty, what age range, uh, for your therapist and it will give you a list of them. You can read a profile and see a picture of that therapist. You can message them or contact them and start to see if they're a good fit for you. So there's a lot of really, really awesome ways to find different therapists all over at different ranges for whatever your needs are. Um, there's also employee assistance programs. I mean, I can go on for days, but I think those are really good places to start are the telehealth if that feels like your vibe, community mental health if money or insurance is an issue, um, and if money is not an issue, then private practice and using that Psychology Today Finder tool online is a great way to start. Excellent. Leo, I really appreciate you dedicating the time today. I think this was a super important topic and um, 
you know, barely scratched the surface. Barely scratched the, the surface. The surface sure. of everything there is. But no, I really appreciate your time and coming out. Um, you addressed some me. some amazing things. Thank so. you. No, this was I really enjoyed this and I appreciate um, your podcast is great. I love it and thank you for having me on. Of course. All right, guys. I'll see you. Hey everyone, this is your host, Jared Hazel. Just wanted to thank you all for listening to the Denver Crux podcast. As a friendly reminder, make sure when you're out there, leave no trace. If you see a water bottle or something on the trail, pick it up, toss in the trash later. Helps out everyone. A lot of these local trails and climbs, there is management that goes behind them, so if anyone can give back, whether it's giving a buck or two or some volunteer time to the access fund to your local climbing council or coalition do so make sure you're not running your ropes through that fixed hardware up there does wear down over time so just something to keep in mind some good etiquette the podcast is always looking for new guests so whether or not you're you've been climbing for a month or 50 years i'd love to have you on and share the experience so if anyone wants to reach out at any time feel free my Instagram handle for the podcast is Denver Crux Podcast. So, with that said, everyone, climb safe, go out there and do dangerous things carefully. <laughs>